How many are familiar with uh, A.W. Tozer? A.W. Tozer. Tozer said in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, he said this, he said, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I'll say that again. When it comes to our minds, or what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I don't know about you, but there's some people that think that God is some angry grandfather up there just waiting to zap you when you do something wrong. Some people have the idea that, that God is... You know, God is angry, or God is mean, or, or God is not interested, or God doesn't care, or that God exists, that maybe he even made things, maybe he made the universe, but he's sort of distant. How many know that most everybody has some sort of concept about who God is? Even an atheist, they say that they don't believe in God. How could you not believe in something that doesn't exist? They're actually saying that they don't believe in a, in a God, and yet they're giving him some credit, aren't they? Because they're even using his name. So what we think about God is, is the most important thing about us. And really the question is, is you know, who is God and what, what does he say about himself? I think that Jesus would agree with Tozer. One of the things that Jesus tried to do over and over and over again in the Gospels was to try to scrape away all of the misconceptions, to try to get rid of all of the residue of misinformation and misunderstanding that obstructed people's view of who God really is. And this morning, I just want to speak uh, concerning the heart of the Father. That's the title of my message, very simply, The Heart of the Father. And we find that the heart of the Father is no better depicted than in Luke 15. When there was Pharisees who began to question the kind of people that Jesus was keeping company with. Luke 15, verse 1 to 2, starts off this way. He says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered that this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. You see, interestingly enough, Jesus had this uncanny way of attracting non-religious people. He just had this way of attracting them. He had this way of attracting the unlovable. People that people of social status would typically avoid. Who were the kind of people that were attracted to Jesus? Well, there were sinners. There was prostitutes. There was tax collectors who were basically thieves. The tax collectors oftentimes were, in the case of Zacchaeus, for example, he was a chief tax collector. He was a Jew, and yet he was considered by his Jewish brothers a traitor to the Roman Empire for the sake of personal gain and wealth. They were hated. In fact, they were so despised by the Jews that they were considered unclean, unable to be part of God's chosen people. Sinners. Sinners. Today they would be probably porn stars, they would be drunkards, they would be drug addicts, they would be child molesters, they would be whatever you could, whatever the worst of society that you could think of, these were the people who were drawn to Jesus. And the Pharisees, the religious people, the people who you would consider that if anybody was going to go to heaven, it would actually be the Pharisees, because they were the ones who knew the word of God and did all that they could to observe the law to the very letter. And yet, though they were very stuck on the letter of the law, they entirely missed the spirit of the law. And yet, so here we find Jesus in this conflict with the Pharisees because he welcomed sinners and would even sit down to have food with them. 
attitude, our thought about God is extremely important. You see, these religious people thought they knew God, yet they were offended by God himself. You see, I used to be brought up in a time when they were told that you're known by the company you keep. And if we applied that to Jesus, what would we say? And here's the thing, that Jesus knew their attitudes, he knew their opinions, he knew their hearts. And so what he did is he told them three parables. He told them one about a lost coin, one about a lost sheep, and one about a lost son. And in each parable, it addressed to the self-righteous, those who thought that they were holier than thou, he put up a mirror before them, and he opened up a little window to heaven. And when it was all done, it revealed just how little they really understood who God truly was. And so in Luke 15, 11, Luke 15, 11, it reads like this. And Jesus continued, and there was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. And not longer after that, this younger son got together all that he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to, to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And in verse 17, Luke writes this. He says that when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son but make me like one of your hired men. And so he got up, and he went to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with, filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and against you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ringer on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast, celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. So, Lord, we just pray this morning, once again, you would help us to hear your heart, that you would help us to hear your word today. Holy Spirit, we pray that your word would be life to us today. Quicken that word to our hearts, Lord, that we would be able to see who you truly are that we, that we would be able to see your heart toward us, each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. 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 First thing we want to notice is really about the Son. We're going to talk two things about the Son, and we're going to come to the Father. I don't know about you, but... Um, it doesn't take very long in, in, in parenthood when you discover that your kids oftentimes don't listen to you. You ever notice that? You tell them, don't do something, and it's the first thing they, they want to do. Don't touch the stove. You'll get burnt by the stove. And so what do they do? You warn them to be careful when they're on their bicycle or how to properly use a hockey stick or whatever the case might be. And over and over and over, you'll discover, as we have over the last 15 years, almost 16 years of parenthood, that kids oftentimes, they just don't listen to you. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. How many know that it doesn't, you don't have to teach your kids to, to, to lie? Have you ever sat down and taught your kids how to lie? Let's have, okay, today we're going to have a course in how to lie and get away with it. Fool mom and dad. 
Today, bullying 101, how to torment your little sister. No, we don't do that. It's just a natural thing. It's a natural thing, isn't it? Have you noticed that? Let's be honest. It's a natural thing to go against, oftentimes to go against our authority. It's to go against the one whom God has ordained, put in our lives, to keep us on the right path. And we find this in this parable here. We find this in this parable that the father didn't have to talk to the son and, and to, to tell him, you know, this is how you live a life of rebellion. No, this was something that was in the heart. How many understand that the Bible says that we are all, we're all born in sin? And so this son, this son, decides that he's had enough. He's had enough of being in father's house. And so he gets the bright idea that he wants his share of the father's estate. Prematurely. Now that would translate into about one third of the father's assets. And I want you to understand that this would have been a wealthy Jewish man. The oldest brother, the older brother, would receive a double portion. He would receive two thirds, but the younger one wants one third and he wants it now. He wants his inheritance. That would have been something that would have been unheard of. In fact, if you were there at the very first hearing when Jesus told that parable, you would have got that because you would have understood Jewish culture. In fact, what the son was actually saying was, Dad, I really wish that you were dead so I could get what's coming to me. According to Deuteronomy 21, The father here had every legal right to have his son strictly disciplined. And I don't know about you, but when our kids don't do the right thing, you're just itching to put them in their place. You ever find that? You need to learn a lesson. Because you cannot get away with this. This is bad stuff. In fact, the son, because of his rebellion, could have been stoned to death by the elders of the town. And the father had every right to do that. But he didn't. He didn't take that privilege. Instead, what he did is he let his son go. He granted him his request despite his son's rebellion. He is a rebel. The father understood that he was going to take a third of all that he had. Remember, this is what he has. This is the father's. This is what he owns. He's going to give it to the son, and then it's up to the son what he does with it. Some people might say, well, that's just awful. How irresponsible. Perhaps. Maybe Jesus' hearers would have thought the father was really lax. But in this case, how many understand that God is not looking for robots? Remember the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve sinned against God? He could have started all over again. He could have chosen to make more people and wanted them to do exactly... He could have controlled them. How many understand that God is sovereign? He's all-powerful. And if he wanted to, he could have made humanity love him. He could have made them like robots, but he didn't. How many know that love is only, only worth something when people choose to give it? That's when love is valuable. That's when it means something. And so we find that this, son, that this father lets the son go. 
And then Jesus continues the story. He says in verse 13, he says, Not long after that, the younger son got all together that he had, set off for a distant country, and he squandered his wealth in wild living. So here's this young man, and he's determined to be totally independent. So he gets together everything that he has. In other words, he, he gets all, you know, whatever stuff that he owns, and, and he, he converts the father's stuff into liquid assets. He sells off the property. He cuts all of his ties to his family. He cuts all the ties to his past. And he sets off for this distant country. Now, maybe this was distant in geography. I'm not really sure. But I want to suggest this morning... That what the young man had in his heart is he had big dreams, you see. See, he had this idea. You, you, you know, listen, if, you, if you've lived home long enough, you know that there's times when you get into debates with your parents and you say, well, I just can't wait until I get old enough to leave here. To be on my own. Well, this is what the son's doing. He's going out on his own. He wants to enjoy life in the fast lane. He wants to be far from his father, far from his brother, far from all the the rules, far from his culture, perhaps. I I remember a prodigal friend of mine, 19 years of age, did a similar thing. Took all the money that he'd been saving up, about $10,000. He left home, decided that he was going to be better off living on his own terms, doing his own thing. And this was a young man who when he was 13 years old, he was into the church. He came to know the Lord. He had a powerful experience with God. He was involved in the youth group. He was involved in the church, all these different things. But he decided one day he was going to gather all that he had, and he was going to go off to the city, live life in the fast lane. And this is what the prodigal, the parable did. He goes off to the distant country. He squanders his wealth on wild living. He gets into bad relationships. He gets into abusing substances like drugs and alcohol. He gets into trouble with other guys' girlfriends. And the prodigal and the parable we find squandered his property on all sorts of things. And you can fill in the the blanks, but I remember my friend... He got into shoplifting. He even, um, he even stole a leather jacket just from a bar just to try to keep up his bad habits. He told stories of when he was on the run from the police. He even had to spend a few nights in the drunk tank. He remember one night that he was running across a football field, running from the police in the rain in the middle of the night. His life was just totally out of control. And the prodigal son was the same way. And here's the thing, is that life in the far-off country really wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. Because here's what happened. You see, when you run out of money, and you run out of your rounds for your friends, your friends run out on you. Interestingly enough, in this instance, the economy wasn't all that great either, because a famine hits the land. So this rebellious Jewish kid ends up, in the fields feeding the pigs. He becomes so hungry that he even eats what the pigs were eating. And when Jesus is telling that story, you can almost think the Pharisees are standing around applauding, thinking that's exactly what he deserved for his rebellion. That's exactly what he deserved. That's what happens when you give your life to a life of sin. He should be neglected. He should be forgotten. This is what he deserves. But you see, even though this was a young man who was rebellious, we find that in verse 17, something begins to change in this young man's heart. Verse 17, it says, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Jesus says that this young guy, he comes to his senses. 
he finally begins to put it together. Literally, it means that he came to himself. He realized where he was. He realized the gravity of the situation. So here was this Jewish boy, this son of a wealthy man, and here he is in the pig pen feeding pigs, unclean animals, by Jewish law. Even worse with the famine, he'd fallen so low that he was now eating what the pigs were eating because Jesus said no one gave him anything. So he was totally alone and totally neglected. Where are the friends that he partied with now? Because you see, when the money runs out, your friends run out on you. You see, there is this idea that being on our own, doing our own thing, is going to bring us all that we want. It's going to bring us joy. It's going to bring us happiness. It's going to bring fulfillment. It's going to bring us what we believe life should be all about. But how many know that that's not God's purposes for our lives? You see, what sin is, I'll tell you really what sin is. Sin is really missing out on God's best for your life. God has a plan and a purpose for us. God had a plan and a purpose from, for Adam and Eve, and it wasn't to eat from the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God had a plan for this young Jewish boy but he decided that he was going to take matters into his own hands. But God, the one who has created everything, he's created us. How many know you would never, the, the, the watch, if somebody had a watch, somebody made a watch, and you ask a watchmaker, what's the purpose of the watch? What would the watchmaker say? To tell time. Who said that? I see. Excellent. You guys get like brilliancy points here this morning. If someone makes a chair and you ask the maker of the chair, what is the purpose of the chair? What would, the, the, what would they say? To sit on. Amen? If you ask Henry Ford, what's the purpose of the Model T, what would he have said? We got debate here, right? It sounds like. Henry Ford one time said, he said, if I had given people what they wanted, it would have been faster horses. You see, sometimes what we think we want isn't what we really need. And you see, it's actually the maker who knows because he's created us for something. He's created us for what we were singing about following him, doing his will, finding out what his plan and purpose for our lives is. And and yet here was the prodigal and he was deciding that he was going to go out on his own, be independent of his father. Bad, bad choice. But he comes to his senses. He comes to his senses and there's two options here. One option is this. Starve or repent. Starve or repent. And the first step to spiritual sanity is repentance. Repentance. Repentance is basically this, is that you're going in this direction and it's the wrong way. I remember hearing one time of my, um, one of my cousins from Woods Harbor, Nova Scotia. And my mom told me of how they got out. They were in Halifax and they got out on the 102 Two, I believe it was. Yeah, the 102 going from Halifax to Truro. And somehow she got over on in, in the wrong side of the highway. She was going in the wrong way. And it says with big red signs, wrong way. Can I, can I, can I say this morning that there are red letters in your Bible that will warn us of the wrong way? Red signs, red letters wrong way and I'm thinking how did she get on the wrong side of the highway what do you think could happen driving down the wrong side of the highway 
fatal accident? Could that happen going the wrong side of the highway, a fatal accident? Absolutely. Well, folks, it's the same way when we're going in the wrong direction, away from God, living our own lives, doing our own thing, like Frank Sinatra said, I did it my way. Wrong direction. It, le- it does not lead to eternal life. It leads to destruction. So the first step in spiritual sanity is repentance. It's no- and here's the thing. Here's what was happening in this young man's heart. He says, how many of my father's servants have food to spare? He's not focusing on the God who wants to zap him. He's focusing on the goodness that his father has. Amen? He's focusing on his goodness. Look, how many of my father's servants have food to spare? He is a God who cares for his own. And he says, and here I am, in contrast, starving to death. He began to focus on his father's goodness, which caused him to repent. Second thing he done is this. He made a confession. He said, my father is a generous man. Which I just mentioned earlier, he's a generous man. So here he is. He's looking at the freedom, the quote-unquote freedom that he thought he had versus the goodness of his father. And it led him to not just remorse and regret. How many know there's times when we can be sorry over something, but, but sorry oftentimes, it really doesn't cut it. I can, I can say sorry to someone over and over and over, but what happens if I just keep on doing what I've always been doing? Does it really show much regret? Does it really show much remorse? If I continue to do the same thing over and over again and just keep saying sorry. Sorry, God. But I just continue on. And then I'll just say sorry because I'm feeling bad about it. No, what he does is he doesn't just repent and confess, but the next thing that he does is he makes a response. He responds to his father's goodness. And here's what he says. He says, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And so he got up and he went to his father. So that's the son. The son was rebellious, but thank God he became repentant. And not only remorseful, but he responded to who he believed his father was. But I want you to understand something this morning. How many know that it's very difficult to go home when you've gone the wrong direction at times? I remember talking to young people. And they were like the prodigal. They were like the ones who went out in the far-off country, squandered all they had. And they came to this conclusion that it's very difficult to go home. Very difficult to go back to their faith family. And part of the reason is because they feel that there's a lack of grace and love and compassion. I want you to think about this for a minute. If you could stick your feet in the sandals of the sun here for a moment. He's, got a, he's resolved in his heart to go back. But maybe there's voices that are saying this. Can I really go back? Have I gone too far? How will I be received? What are they going to say about me? I'm probably the talk of the town. I'm probably being criticized right now. My father being criticized for my actions. Think about it for a moment. A Jewish boy coming back smelling like the pig pen. Smelling like the pig pen, wearing the rags of failure. So probably in his mind he's thinking, no, surely there's just no way that I could ever come back home and I could be accepted by my father as a son. Maybe he'll take me as a hired servant. So what does he do? He takes action and he sets out for home. He sets out for home And I can imagine, just imagine with me for a moment, I can imagine the son is rehearsing in his mind over and over as he's walking that dusty road on his way back home. Father, I've sinned against 
heaven. I, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against Heather. Fa Father, I've sinned. I've sinned. And so he's just thinking about all of his wrongdoing. No longer worthy. No longer worthy. I'm not worthy of being a son of yours. Just make me like one of your hired servants. But this is where it gets really good. Because we get into verse 20. And this is the part that I really get excited about. Because the, Jesus says, but while he was still a long way off. Can you say that with me? But while he was still a long way off. He's a long way off. You know what that tells me? It tells me that the father hadn't forgotten about his son at all. He hadn't forgotten about him. He didn't forget the way that he looked, the way that he carried himself. See, in my imagination, I'm thinking to myself, there's a good chance that father went out on the porch and every day he scanned the horizon. And off in the distance, he would see the shadowy figure and he would look, could this be my son? Could this be the day that he comes home? And because he knew how he would move and he, and he knew his height and he knew his body structure, no, this isn't the day. This isn't the day. But here's what it says. And when he spoke, being seeing him in the distance, I can, I can just feel it now because I'm a dad. I'm a dad. But can you imagine all of a sudden the day comes the day comes and the father is looking again. And now, this shadowy figure that's coming on the distance, could this be him? Could this be him coming today? Well, sure looks about his height, sure looks about the way that he moves. And all of a sudden, as he, as he gets closer and he becomes more recognizable, and all of a sudden, I can, I, can, I can feel it stirring up, that there's an excitement that begins to come up into the father's heart now. As he sees his son, as he gets closer, and he knows that this is his son. And here's the thing you need to understand. That this is a, this is a wealthy Jewish man. And it's undignified of a wealthy Jewish man to do nothing more than to walk with dignity and carry himself in that way. In other words, you would never see, you would never see this happen. You would never see a wealthy Jewish man lift up his, his robe and run as fast as he could. I can imagine what was going through the minds of those who were hearing this parable for the very first time. Because folks, that is exactly what God does to us. This was the day whenever someone repents, when I, whenever someone forsakes their independence, when they leave a life of sin, and they respond to God's goodness, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, his compassion, and his invitation to his house. You don't have to be up front and close. God runs to them. And God will run to you. And he won't look at you and say, now we got to haul out the the list here and let's go over everything you've done that is wrong because after all you've came today and you said father I have sinned so let's haul out the account and let's you know it's probably longer than the, the Christmas lift that Santa has and let's go over no no see the, the son father I have sinned and boom the father embraces him with all of his strength and all 
of his love. And he's not concerned about the sins that he's committed because he knows that his son is there because he has a repentant heart. He knows that he's returned and he's home. And that's the most important thing is that my son who was lost is found. He who is dead is alive again. Quick, he says. It's time to party. You don't think parties happen? You read the parables. Three of them happen. Party. Rejoice. Celebration. Forget about being a servant. You're my son. And so what does he do? I love it. Quick, bring the best robe. The best robe. He's not a servant. The best robe. What's the best robe for? It's for the guest of honor. He's my guest of honor. Put the ring on his hand, his finger. A symbol of reinstatement into the family. And he puts sandals on his feet. Symbolic that you are free. And then, woohoo! We're going to get the fatted calf. And we're going to have it butchered up. And we are going to get out the barbecue. And we are going to get the bullseye sauce. And Ed is going to bring his book called Mastering the Grill. And we are going to have a feast. Because the one who was lost is now found. He who was dead is alive. And it's time. who God is. That's who God is. God is the God who is good. He's a good, good father. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's compassionate. He's forgiving. And though our sins be like scarlet, they can be whiter in the snow. How? How? How can they be white as snow? It's simple. Jesus went to the cross for us and he shed his blood in our stead. And like the thief on the cross who didn't go to one church service, he didn't put one penny in the offering plate. He couldn't donate a stained glass window to the church. He, he couldn't go through any, anything. There was nothing elaborate at all. The only thing he said to Jesus with a repentant heart is remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus knows what a repentant heart looks like, a heart that is soft toward him. And folks, when we come to Christ, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back and as we play that song, Good good father it's really that simple it's really that simple it's really that simple some people might say well pastor Steve you you don't know what I've really done in my life you don't understand the things I've done or the things I've said or whatever my history is that doesn't really matter God knows more than I do more than you know because sometimes we're even deceived by the motivations of our heart. God knows even the very motivations of our heart. But he's a good God. He's a good God. And what he wants us to do is he wants us to respond to his goodness, his faithfulness, his loving kindness, his compassion, his mercy toward us. He wants us to respond to him. He wants us to repent, confess, respond. He wants us to come to him. And when we do, he'll run to us. He'll run to us. If we could stand this morning, 
If we could just stand this morning together, praise God. Hallelujah. As the worship team plays and sings soft in the background, good, good Father. Hallelujah. Can we put the words of the, of the yeah, I've heard, just think about this. I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. You know, that spoke to me because I thought to myself, you know, there's people who have ideas of God and it's, it can be bad. You know, there's, there's only two kinds of theologians. Everybody's a theologian, but there's two kinds. There's a good one and a bad one. And the problem is, is if we have the wrong concept of God, it will affect you in the here and the now and it will affect, affect you for all of eternity. But if we go to the, the chorus for a minute. Let's just turn to the chorus if you got it on the screen. Good, good father. You're a good, good father. That's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I am loved by you. You see, God, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. You mean even in its sinfulness, you want to bet. God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe, not just with your head, but with your heart and with your actions. See, belief isn't just a mental assent. Belief is what your, your response toward God. You're saying to God, God, I recognize what you say is right. Maybe where I've gone and what I've done is wrong, and I'm going to walk in agreement. I'm going to live in agreement. I'm going to respond to your truth and your grace. I'm going to respond to it. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to begin walking that dusty road back to Father's house. And folks, when you do, he will run to you because he is a good, good father. And that's the heart of God. Can we sing that? Just that, uh, you're a good, good father. You're in a key. I have no idea what it is. Praise his name.
every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment. You know, maybe you're here this morning and maybe it's the first time you've heard it this way. Maybe you're unsure of just what, who God is like, what God is like, what His heart is toward you. My prayer this morning is that Spirit of the Lord, I just pray that you would speak to every heart that is here this morning. That, Lord, that you would reveal yourself. You'd reveal your love. You would reveal your desire to run. bestow forgiveness and grace on every heart and every life and my prayer Holy Spirit is that God that you would indeed move upon us speak to each one and and, and maybe right now you're just sensing you're sensing something you're sensing that the spirit of God is is speaking to your heart. And he's he's just he's saying he's saying, Come to me. Begin that walk back to Father's house. Begin that walk. Because if you do, I'll meet you there. Maybe you're here this morning and that's with that, that is you. That's 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 where you're at. And I want to encourage you this morning to just to, to respond to him. To respond to the nudging of the Spirit. If that's if that's you here this morning, I'm just gonna ask if you would just lift your hand. I just wanna I just wanna pray with you. Is there anybody here this morning who would say that Lord, the Lord is just nudging my heart and, I, and I'm just gonna lift my hand, acknowledging that God is speaking to me and just drawing me to him. Is there anyone here this morning? Anyone? 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 Praise his name. Maybe you're here this morning and you're all believers. Maybe, um, you know, there's some folks in your family. I'm just going to take a few moments to just to pray that God would, would work in their lives. Could we do that? Just for a moment, just a moment of intercession. Uh, Heavenly Father, we... We thank you for your love for each and every one of us, that you love the entire world, that you loved us enough to come out of the glories of heaven, to walk among us, to teach us about the kingdom of God, to show us the kingdom of God, and to go to the cross for us. And we pray right now, Lord, that we know it's your will that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so we ask, Lord, interceding this morning, asking that your spirit would be at work in the lives and the hearts of our families, our relatives, our loved ones, our friends. We ask, Lord, that you would use us as we give our lives and we commit ourselves and we sanctify ourselves and we... we, consecrate ourselves into your service that God, that as we pray and as we labor, that Lord, that you will bring the fruit and so Lord, we pray for many who are in need of the embracing of their Heavenly Father welcoming them home and so Lord, we just commit the remainder of this day, we thank you for this day this is the day the Lord has made and we're going to rejoice this morning be glad in what you have made. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. And we just pray, knowing, God, that your word will not return void. It will accomplish that which you have sent it forth to do. And we trust in what you're going to do. 
And we thank you for what you're going to do in advance in all God's people said, amen, amen. Praise his name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, before we disband here this morning, uh, we have a we have a very special birthday celebration today, and I'm going to ask uh, Carol if she would come up to the front this morning. We just have a little token uh, for her. And now that I see, I got the worship team up here. This is good. So, Carol, just a little something to say happy birthday on behalf of Maple Street Worship Center. God bless you. And, and so, um, before, you, before you sit down, they're going to do a little special number for you, right? Happy birthday. <laughs> we don't know another song. <laughs> happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday.